You're listening to Greater L.A. from KCRW, the show that connects you to the people and places of Southern California. Hi, I'm Steve Chiatakis. When you hear the word clown, you probably picture a wacky kids entertainer. But a group of super talented L.A.-based clowns are trying to change that. Clown is just about finding the fun and being really stupid. That's 33-year-old Natalie Palamides, a local clown and actor. I kind of describe the style of clowning that we do in L.A. to the layperson as just physical comedy and give people references like the Three Stooges or Lucille Ball. In the last decade, L.A. has become a hotbed of avant-garde clowning. I can feel you cringing through the radio, but stay with me for a minute. All over town, particularly on the east side, young comedy fans are lining up at theaters late at night to watch weird, wild, practically performance art clown shows. So why has this ancient art form suddenly become trendy? And how did L.A. become the center of it? Intrepid comedy writer Rose Cerno investigates. I hate to break the news, but if you want to see live comedy that is truly original, yeah, sometimes a little cringe, but ultimately very funny, you got to check out a clown show. On a Monday night at 930 at the Elysian Theater, 51-year-old clown Chad Damiani takes the stage. With huge arm muscles, a robust belly, and a gray beard, he's giving sexy Santa. Before Damiani brings up the comics, he makes a request to the audience. I'm going to ask you to do something tonight that you're not asked to do in any other show that tries to browbeat you into being comedy daycare providers. (laughs) I don't want you to give it up too easy tonight. Make them earn their first genuine laugh of their life. The show is called Stand Up and Clown, and the concept is that Damiani directs a live, improvised clown show featuring stand-up comedians. He invites them up two at a time and gives them a prompt that they can use to create a scene. The comics aren't allowed to speak. They can only use body language, movement, and facial expressions. Damiani calls out the prompt, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Two 40-something male comics lumber onto the stage. Matt McCarthy, a burly, bearded redhead, scowls as he pulls Ithamar Enriquez, tall and lean, by an imaginary rope around his neck. Enriquez pretends to be a horse, his eyes bulging, his mouth hanging open, cartoonishly wide, showing off his teeth. Here's Palomitas again. One of the main tent poles, if you will, of clowning is to solve a very simple problem in maybe the stupidest, most complicated way possible, the most idiotic way possible. I think a good touchstone for people, like a lot of people know, is the um, bits where Lucy and Ethel are in the chocolate factory. You know, they're essentially trying to solve this problem of the chocolates going past them too quickly to pack. And they're like, how do we resolve this? They end up shoving a bunch of chocolate in their mouth. While Palomitas acts in many different kinds of projects, she does voiceovers for cartoons, commercials and TV. I've cast her in my own sketch videos. She's most well-known in Hollywood for her visceral, outrageous, and insanely funny one-woman clown shows. She's taken her act on the road, performing all over the U.S. and Europe, and earned rave reviews in the New York Times. In her latest show, Nate, streaming on Netflix, Palomitas plays the archetype of a super macho dude on a journey to learn consent and respect for women. 
To embody Nate, she dons full male drag, wearing a fake mustache, wig, no shirt, boobs fully out, with fake chest hair painted on in black marker. Nate asks a random woman in the audience if she can feel her up as part of the show. The woman says yes. All you gotta do is ask. <laughs> her parents don't exactly get her comedy. My dad can't watch it. I think he tried watching my Netflix special and threw his arms in the air and walked out of the room and, and literally said, I, I can't watch this. Alternative comedy isn't for everyone, but for the people who do connect with it, it can be really profound. Max Baumgarten, a 38-year-old clown and actor who I know from when I worked at BuzzFeed, shares some wisdom from his clown teacher, John Gilkey. Gilkey compares clowning to being an acrobat. Oh my God, like they're, they're flying with holding one hand with someone else. They're like, they could fall any second. They're risking their life in front of you. As a clown, how do you do that? How do you achieve that, that same risk? You were trying to risk as much as them. Emotionally, by just showing yourself, by being naked, by literally by trying something so stupid and doubling down on it. Baumgarten's teacher, John Gilkey, is a big reason clowning has exploded in L.A., he started a clown school called The Idiot Workshop in 2013, and it instantly became a hit. Damiani, Baumgarten, and Palomitas all train there. Gilkey recalls. I did the, this one-month workshop, and people wanted to do more, you know? I mean, people just kept coming. <laughs> and, uh, and, and eventually it grew into this huge thing, which I never could have created if I'd set out to do it. You know, it just kind of happened. Rail thin, with a bushy salt-and-pepper beard and glasses— Gilkey looks like a friendly but odd cartoon character. His path to clowning started at 13 when he got into juggling. He quickly became obsessed and soon joined Pickles Circus. When I was 20, I dropped out of college after my first year of university, and my parents were pretty upset. Just the idea of, you know, running away from university and to the circus was enough to, like, really, really scare the living crap out of them, yeah. But following his passion paid off. Gilkey made it to the highest level of clowning in 1996 when he joined the world-famous Cirque du Soleil, where he performed for almost 20 years. Then in 2012, Cirque brought Gilkey to Los Angeles. He settled here, started teaching, and a comedy scene was born. Damiani believes that Angelinos were craving clown because of how commercial and regimented comedy had become. The big reason I think clowning exploded is because almost always... Clowning is an act of counterculture, and especially in Los Angeles, you saw a really codified stand-up scene. Compared to clowning, stand-up and improv comedy have a lot of rules. There's a formula to it. Whenever something like that happens, there's always going to be people who tire of it or people who are looking for something different. And I think what clown offered was unpredictability. So many actors in Los Angeles live in a constant state of anxiety and rejection, striving and climbing. But in Clown, they get something different. Gilkey describes the way his school, the Idiot Workshop, operates. We don't have levels. Uh, we believe rather than trying to create something that where people are climbing and to, to a ladder to achieve something, it's really you come here uh, to succeed in nothing. We're back at the Elysian Theater and Damiani stands in the crowd, shouting notes at the two comedians on stage. He even wears a whistle around his neck like some angry comedy lifeguard. When I leave the show at 11 p.m., I'm physically tired but spiritually energized. 
So much of adult life is about admin and errands, grinding and hustling. It's refreshing to be in a place where the only thing that matters is magic and play. We could all use a little more of that. For KCRW, I'm Rose Cerno. Introducing the KCRW Donation Car, designed to be recycled. This first-of-its-kind vehicle will save you time, space, and hassle by disappearing. Enjoy the luxury and comfort of turning your underused car into a donation worth hundreds, even thousands of dollars. The KCRW Donation Car, already in your garage, driveway, or on cinder blocks outside your house. Act now at kcrw.com cars. It's Greater L.A. from KCRW. I'm Steve Chiotakis. In just a few minutes, we're going to hear from an L.A. punk legend about a new event series at the Broad Museum downtown. But first, let's talk about dinner. Last year, the Surgeon General declared loneliness an epidemic in America. So maybe a solution is encouraging folks to join groups aimed at making friends. We've talked about that before on the show. Or maybe old-fashioned letter writing. Or maybe... Just maybe a dinner party. I always leave myself plenty of time to set the table the night before when everything is quiet and there are no distractions. I've lined the old kitchen table with a flannel bedsheet to pad our hand stenciled Christmas tablecloth. Our gilded centerpiece fits perfectly down the table's middle. The desert aqua dinner plates. And the all right, all right, all right. Maybe not Martha Stewart level dinner party. But you get the idea. Natasha Feldman is the author of The Dinner Party Project. She has a slightly less formal approach to hosting an event, and she's here to talk with us about it right now. Natasha, welcome to you. Hi, thank you. Yeah, just ever so slightly less formal. Yeah, maybe no gilded centerpiece, <laughs> yeah, as Martha yeah. would have on Warmed her table. Warm plates, but, but no, no gilded <laughs> plates. Yeah, exactly. You, um, you, Natasha, have this cookbook, but it's more than just recipes, right? I mean, talk about what's inside. You know, I have been hosting dinner parties regularly since my early 20s and have found it to be such a source of community building and joy for all the hard times and the good times and a, a really way to like, you know, measure time passing. I feel like sometimes you look up and you're like, wait, a year went by. You know, it's it's nice to have these like regular events to help you sort of structure what's happening in your life and make sure that there are people around you and you know, everybody's got to eat. Um, everybody needs community. Like the Surgeon General said, loneliness is as bad for your health as smoking an entire pack of cigarettes a day. So if you can kill two birds with one delicious stone, you know, it seems like a, 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 pretty, a pretty good way to go. You've talked about collective healing at the dinner party, right? Yeah. Tell us a little more about that. I mean, how did how do those things open up? It's all through conversation, right? It's all through conversation. And it's so much about when somebody is sitting across the table from you and you guys are doing something that is so basic and so human, like you breaking bread together, it's really hard to dehumanize the person that's sitting across the table from you. So just at a very like primal level, otherizing humans when you're at a table together becomes much more difficult. 
And then when you add on the layer of like getting to know somebody, finding that your troubles are the same or that your joys are the same and getting to experience all these different parts of humanity, it really helps you become more of an empathetic person to others. And it helps you find community and it helps you really open up. And, you know, I think a lot of people are struggling for ways to feel like they can connect, ways that they can heal. And this sense of collective healing is something that we can do in our own, you know, backyards or dining room tables just by inviting people in and and creating this space where we're all more receptive and excited to take in new information and to feel less closed off and like we already know everything that there is to know because you know this it's a it's a vast world with so much and it's such an easy way to change your perspective the guest list the guest list is very important like like who's going to get along like personality wise and all of that yeah but you know i often find that it's the dinner parties with like the weird awkward person or the moment where everything goes wrong that ends up being some of the dinner parties where you learn the most about somebody else or yourself that are really memorable. So even if it ends up being a total fiasco or someone is a complete weirdo, those are that's like some of the juicy stuff, you know? So I think it's okay if you if you mess up and you invite a bunch of people who don't really get along and then you get to laugh about it for the rest of your life. It's like the more you try and play and experience, the the closer you're going to get to figuring out what your ideal dinner party is. Who's your dream dinner party? Like who, who people who we know, who, who would that be? <laughs> like would be people that I list? don't know? Any of us, yeah. Oh, gosh. You okay, know, well. Ranging you, you... from whatever, from, you know, Santa Claus to Jesus or, you know, whatever. I mean, or wow. uh, JFK or, you know. Well, definitely the Grinch. I am obsessed with the Grinch. You want the Grinch at dinner. Okay. I want the Grinch at dinner. You have, like, having an ordinary, hilarious character that you can make fun of that everybody, it feels the same about is is a a good place to start. You'll you'll have to make roast beast, so. (laughs) Yes. And who hash? We're having the Grinch. We are definitely, I think, uh, well, can I have somebody deceased? Of course. This okay. is the ad. Stephen Sondheim is coming. He's my oh, wow. he's my idol. Right. We also have to have Bernadette Peters at the dinner party. Um okay. and you know, I think having having uh maybe like a director or two, we can have a fun artist, like bringing people together that are that are interesting and creative with different levels of ornery, I think would be an incredibly fun dinner party. What about if you're a single guy like me who loves giving dinner parties but knows that it's really difficult to do when you're by yourself? What do you yeah. tell that person? Dinner parties are all about problem solving. So just starting from where you are and finding something that fits into your life rather than turning yourself into a human pretzel, you know, to Martha Stewartify your dinner party is is where to begin. So in the dinner party project, I talk about three different ways to dinner party. One being a collective cook where you have people come over earlier on like a Saturday or Sunday and you make some easy dishes together, which is incredibly um it's just such a nice experience. It takes all the pressure away from whether or not you did everything right. It gives you an opportunity to do something that's intimate with people, which brings you closer together. And it's a fun way to spend a few hours. So collective cooking is something that I think is 
one really good way to go. And in the dinner party project, I also have um, whole like recipes within menus that you can kind of decide um, if you who you want to do what and how you should break those different roles down. You can always do potluck. When you're having people bring stuff, it's always easier for them to bring things that aren't going to spill, that don't have to be reheated. So things like salads, sides, desserts, drinks. And then there's always the option, Steve, of takeout. You know, I think people, when the, I, the concept of the dinner party is just eating with people, building community, creating that sense of place and safety and warmth that, you know, you can then go out in the world with. And if that's like ordering pizza and having some wine and maybe making a salad if you feel like it. To me, that is just as much of a dinner party as if you slaved in the kitchen for, you know, seven hours. Natasha Feldman, author of The Dinner Party Project. Natasha, all right, brisket. We've got the brisket. I'll bring the mashed mm-hmm. potatoes because I'm the mashed Great. potatoes guy. I can't wait. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll make it happen. Natasha, thanks for I'm coming really on excited. and talking with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Winter, spring, summer, or fall All you have to do is call And I'll be there You got a friend More now with Greater LA from KCRW. I'm Steve Chiotakis, ramping up from dinner parties now to perhaps getting out on the town. There's a big music history party coming up later in the month. The Broad Museum downtown is hosting a festival-style music exhibition two weeks from this Saturday, January 27th. It's called L.A. Intersections. It'll celebrate the music and the spoken word scenes that have emerged from L.A., including punk and jazz, rap, noise, and more. There'll be live performances and readings by various L.A. writers and movement artists and musicians, including punk rocker and Hermosa Beach native Keith Morris, who's touring right now with his band called Off. That's Keith Morris and Off. And Keith Morris joins us right now on the show, direct from Australia. Hi, Keith. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. You're, you're known as this high energy punk front man, right? But but at this exhibit, you're not going to be you're not going to be like slashing a guitar, right? Or or, uh, or or singing punk. You're gonna you're gonna be changing pace a little bit by reading. You're gonna be doing some readings. Talk a little bit about what you're gonna be performing there. I'm I'm going to be reading and um, hopefully. The museum will be passing out pillows so everybody can lay on the floor and relax. But I, I hope that while these people are relaxing, that they don't fall asleep. Now, <clears throat> right after me is, is a really cool uh, new young ba- L.A. band called Zulu. They, they start up at about 950 and. They will certainly, if you are, if you, if you have fallen asleep, they will wake you. They will wake you and shake you. 
So, all right. So, so you're going to be doing some readings, and then we're going to hear some music from Zulu and some other folks too. I'm sure on the 27th. What what can people expect? I mean, besides those two things at uh, at the Broad Museum downtown, is it is it all ages? Is it free? Um, it, it's all ages. I I know that it costs money to get in. Um, my good friend Pleasant Gaiman uh, had a punk rock fanzine called lobotomy she's going to be doing a slideshow of pages out of the fanzine and punk rock flyers now she goes back to the very beginning she's like a cave girl there's going to be some rapping there's going to be maybe some world beat kind of stuff going on it's it's going to be very eclectic there's going to be something for everybody it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a fun one. What? Why do an event like this? Do you? I mean, talk a little bit about the importance of music. When, when we say L.A. intersections, so many things have been born and bred out of L.A. When it comes to music, if you if you go all the way back to the beginning of music in Los Angeles, it's always been a hotbed and a breeding ground for great music. I come from a, a branch of the music business called punk rock. There's punk rock happening everywhere, just like hip hop, just like jazz, just like blues, just like rock and roll bands. There's always something happening. That's what's great about Los Angeles. There's just so much stuff going on. In fact, there's so much stuff going on, it's hard to keep up with all of it. What elements, Keith, of, of L.A. culture and history have, have shaped your journey as an artist? What do you think the culture of L.A. has been in order to breed and to, and to make these bands successful? Is it, is it part because it's the entertainment capital of the world, because there are record labels based here? I mean, what, what do you think it is? And, and is it still well, that kind of magic? I um, truly believe that because Los Angeles and L.A. County is as big as it is, there are all of these different pockets of people ar around the city. It's the, one of the reasons we have hip hop, Compton, South Central, um, the, the scenario with Black Flag. We grew up in Hermosa Beach where we're surrounded by surfers and skaters. We were also connected by freeways. And because when you get on the freeway, you get in the fast lane and, and you're, you're driving 65, 70 miles an hour. You're, you're on the move. You're going somewhere. You've got something to do. There, there are all sorts of contributing factors. So this L.A. intersection show, this festival type show over at the Broad, um, this is this is a nighttime thing on the twenty seventh, right? Eight eight to eleven p.m. No, because eight a.m. might be too early for uh, the the people that would normally attend some events like this. <laughs> Although some people, there are some early risers across L.A. too. I can assure you. <laughs> oh yeah, there are. Good for them. <laughs> well, it's called L.A. Intersections, two weeks from this Saturday, January 27th, at the Broad Museum, Oculus Hall over at the Broad. Tickets are 30 bucks. 
and you can get them right now. Keith Morris, founding member of Black Flag, played with the Circle Jerks, has a new band called Off, touring the world right now. Keith, thanks for coming on and talking with us. Good luck to you and safe travels. Hey, thank you for having me. Well, that's all the time we have for this evening. Coming up next on 89.9 KCRW, former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley is hoping for second place in the Iowa GOP caucuses. She's starting to surge, though, in New Hampshire polls. You're going to hear about that. We're back tomorrow for our final show of Greater L.A. on KCRW. And an update on L.A.'s crisis of the unhoused from our reporter who's also moving on after so many stories. You're going to hear from... Anna Scott tomorrow, and Zach Galifianakis will be in the studio to talk about a comedy charity show that he and other comedians are doing, and who knows what will ensue tomorrow on GLA. I'm Steve Chiatakis. Thanks for the time. Thanks for that ear. Bye-bye.